As we begin today, I want you to know that I recognize the weight of this passage and this topic, and that just the mention of the word uh, divorce stirs up a lot for a lot of you. And so um, with that in mind, I just want you to know that my intention today is not to heap guilt upon any of you who have been divorced and remarried. Rather, my hope is to, is to really lay before us the best I can the Word of God, um, His good plan for us, to let that be felt in its fullness, and then hopefully attempt to direct us to respond from where we are today, okay, going forward. Does that make sense? So um, I, I know I've heard it said, and some believe that like divorce is the unforgivable sin, and so that, that you're, you're living in perpetual sin, and, adult, and I just want you to know like, that's not true. Like, the, the gospel is, is still the gospel, and there's forgiveness and restoration. And so I want to say that from the outset and hopefully just let God's word bear its weight. Now, now, that doesn't mean we just move quickly to a flippant posture on divorce. We need to feel the weight of what Jesus' words say here. We need to feel the weight of what he teaches about marriage. But lest we go um, too far into that state of of despair or unforgivable sin, uh, stuff that, that many of us have heard before. I just want to, to make that clear. Um, and, and like I said, to let God's word really direct us to how we move forward from where we are today. And so um, as we move into that, would you just would you pray with me uh, one more time? Father God, as we enter into this topic, which is loaded with, with so much for so many, Lord, I ask that you be kind to us today through your spirit. We ask that you would accomplish your will with your word, Lord, as we submit ourselves to it. Would you give us the courage to do that today, Lord, uh, to open ourselves up to your teaching before we build defenses? Lord, we know from Hebrews that your word is living and active. It's sharp as a two-edged sword and that it divides soul and spirit, motives and thoughts. So, Father... We submit ourselves to you as one would submit themselves to a surgeon, knowing, Lord, that if you must cut us, it is for our good. It is, for, it is to heal us and not for our harm. So, Lord, help us to believe that today and trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're still in our series on the book of Luke, and as we, we preach through this, um, this is where we find ourselves today. And if you're, re- if you're just reading the book of Luke for the first time, and you come across this one-liner, like you, you have to kind of, it's one verse in Luke 16, 18, and you kind of have to stop and go like, what, what in the world? Like, where did that come from? Because in the context, Jesus is talking about money, right? Which always already has everybody tense and angry, right? Nobody enjoys when the preacher starts talking about money. So everybody's already kind of on edge, and then he just drops this one-liner, this bomb about divorce and remarriage. And then you kind of left going like, what? Like, why'd you, why'd you have to go there? Like, what, what's going on? With that, and and so the the context first that we kind of got to deal with is is in as we've seen the religious leaders of Jesus's day um, are very bothered, freaked out, and um, upset at the way that Jesus is presenting his so-called kingdom. And I, I say so-called because they say so-called, but Jesus is bringing the kingdom, and it's making them really really nervous the way that he's teaching the people he's hanging out with. And so they're ridiculing him and saying, "Hey, you're making a mess of God's word." Like, the way that you're acting, the way you're living, the things you're teaching, like, you're, like you've made a mess. Like, you're, you're way off base. And Jesus 
responds to them, verse 15 and 16 of Luke 16 there. And, and he says, hey, listen, it's actually you guys that have made a mess of God's word. He's talking to the religious people, the, the leaders of the day. And he says, listen, for generations, you guys have used the law and the prophets as this um, thing for your own benefit, that you've twisted God's truth and the details of God's law to, to prop up your own self-righteousness, to make yourself better than others so that you can look down on other people and you could feel elite and better. And Jesus says, listen, and that's been the standard. That's, you guys have made that the standard for years, but he says, now the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here now, and it's not just about you elitists who have been good enough. And Jesus is saying, now the kingdom's open up to anybody, and, I'm, and everybody's being forcefully urged into it. You can join the kingdom of God. And he said, and yeah, it's radically different than what you guys have been teaching, but it is not doing away with God's will. Rather, it is fulfilling God's law. So much. So what Jesus is saying is, you guys think I'm, I'm dismantling God's law and making some new law. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm actually fulfilling that fully. Jesus says, it's not even possible for part of the law to be passed away. He said, it's easier for the whole, the heavens and the earth to pass away than for one dot of God's law to be removed. And what he's saying is, listen, God's will, God's law, the way he made the world, that ain't changing. In fact, it can't change. Like, these rules, like the law of God, what we operate off of, like this is not something that God placed onto an existing uh, people to kind of keep them in check. Like this is the way that, this is the framework and with which God designed the world to work. These are the absolute moral truths that God has, has put in place for our world to operate off of. So he says, no, they're not, they're not going away. I'm not doing away with them. I'm, I'm going to fulfill them. And you guys have twisted and distorted them. And, and he says, you exalt yourself and justify yourself before men. He says in verse 15, but he says, I, I tell you, like what you have made out to be good, God considers evil. You guys are the ones that have twisted things. And so, so as he's sharing that and confronting them with that, he throws in this example of one of the things that, that God meant to be good that they've distorted for their own benefit and in a way of justifying themselves. And one of those things is marriage. Right? And so that's the heart behind this, this one-line uh, truth bomb that Jesus just places here in Luke 16. Uh, and it just moves on. It goes on to talking about money again. But what Jesus says about marriage here is, is radical. It, is, it seems impossible even. In the, in the similar text in Matthew, after Jesus teaches this, the disciples are like, um, after everybody leaves, they're like, man, if that's true, like, I don't know if anybody should get married. Like, it's an intense teaching that Jesus lays before them. And when oftentimes when we hear a teaching like this, our first response is to begin thinking about all of the reasons that, that can't mean what it seems to mean, right? And we, we hear a teaching like that and we're like, whoa, that doesn't, that doesn't line up with what I've heard before. And so we start thinking about all the reasons why that, that must mean something else, right? Maybe it's in the Greek. It's always in the Greek, right? Maybe, maybe like that's where the misunderstanding is. And we start just trying to find reasons why, okay, that, that doesn't set well with me. There must be something else going on. And so before we kind of jump to that, before we do that today, let's remember what we've said over and over again here as a church, that um, when God is speaking to us, he's coming as our father. He's coming as our good shepherd. That he's not trying to steal from us, right? And God takes no pleasure in just making us obey arbitrary rules, right? Like that's the, that's the, the, 
tone of the scriptures, is, is our good, love for us, and, and for our flourishing that he gives us rules. So when he gives commands and instructions, it's with our best in mind to lead us to life, not to rob us. And so that is, is true of all the scriptures, but to really understand why this is true in Jesus' very blunt and direct statement here in Luke 16, 18 about divorce and remarriage. We're going to have to look not so much about the details and the nuances of divorce, but rather at the origin, the design, and the meaning of marriage. Once we do that, I think Jesus' teaching on divorce will make a little bit more sense. And in fact, this is what Jesus did every time that he was asked about the topic. Several times in the other Gospels, particularly in the, the passage that John read in Matthew, um, Jesus was asked if it was permissible to divorce your spouse. Um, in Jesus' day, there was a lot of weird teachings about uh, the grounds for divorce. Um, some teachers would even say that, like, hey, if you, just, if you don't like your wife anymore or you see somebody prettier, then you can give that whole certificate of divorce thing that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 24, and you're good to go. And so there was varying degrees of distortion of this in Jesus' day. And so he gets asked this question a lot. But honestly, at least they were asking, Right? Like in our world, in our, in our day, like we're not even asking if it's okay anymore. Like we're not even bringing that question before the Lord. It's just so common that it's just kind of assumed to be a part of life, right? I Googled divorce today, just put in divorce, or earlier this week. I just put in divorce and hit search. And here's what I got. I don't know if you can read it or not, but uh, first three things are ads. Divorce online, $139, easy, cheap, fast solution. Divorce paperwork in minutes, $137. 129, complete paperwork in 30 minutes. And then some new stories about celebrities. And I mean, I guess the Shamwell guy is a celebrity. I don't know, but um, he's on there. And so that's what you get. Like, there's not a question of like, is this okay? Can I not? It's just this market of quick, fast, and easy. You can buy, like, you can buy it in the same way you can buy a book off of Amazon right? And in minutes, it's your, like, that's where our, our culture has gone with this, this thing. And, and so it's taken so lightly, it's so commonplace, yet if we actually think about, like, the pain of divorce, I don't think we would take it so lightly. I don't think we would be so flippant about it. It's been said by many that divorce is, is more painful than the death of a spouse. And, and I don't mean to make light of that. I'm not experienced either. But, but in some ways, you could see how that could be true because at least in death, like there's, there's kind of a cleanness to that pain, right? Like you know why you're alone at that moment. Like you know why um, that person's not there. But in divorce, it's, it's often years in the making, right? And then it's years in the adjusting. And there's pain and, and fear and shame and guilt. And, and there's loneliness, but it's not because that person is no longer alive. It's because they've chosen not to be with you. The pain of, of divorce, and that's just on the couple. And then you talk, you talk about the ripple effects that go out into the family and then into society, especially when you think about the divorce rate being almost five out of ten. Like, it's really hard to quantify the effects that that has had. But there's been a lot of studies that have tried to do that. And um, it's, whatever those play out, it's not hard to see that this has incredible ripple effects throughout our society as homes are destabilized and, and the pain that happens and is caused. And so this is why when Jesus is confronted with this question, hey, can we divorce our, our spouse for any reason? 
Um, in Matthew 19, he points back to God's original design. So let's go there, to, let's go there together. You can let Luke go and, um, and go to Matthew 19. We're going to camp out there. It's a bit of a fuller explanation of this teaching, and so we're going to stay in, in Matthew 19 for the rest of our time together. Um, and so what, what happens here is, is, is they ask Jesus, hey, is it lawful, verse 3 of, of Matthew 19, for, to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered them this. Here's what he says. Um, have you not read that from the beginning, or that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so Jesus is going to point all the way back and, and say, hey, you're asking about divorce. Have you forgot how this whole marriage thing came into place? Or how it came into being in the first place? Have you forgot God's design? And he just real simply points them back to Genesis 2.24, which is such a common verse to us, and we've read it, and we share it in weddings. And he says, for this reason, God, uh, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, hold fast unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so the first thing that Jesus does, he's going to exalt, he's going to remind them what marriage is. And the first thing that he reminds them about is that marriage is about becoming one flesh. In Mark, it talks about what God has joined together. Let nobody else put, put um, separate or put asunder. And so Jesus it like reminds them that, hey, what you're talking about, you're flippantly asking if you can divorce for any reason, but you forgot about what marriage means in the first place. Because what he's saying is, is this is two people and they've become, like, that, this happened here yesterday. We had a marriage here. We had a wedding here yesterday. And there was, there was a young woman and a young man that came um, into this building as two single people. And as they stood before a crowd of people and made their vows to one another, the Bible says that God joined them together. There was a pastor here that officiated that did the ceremony, but the Bible says that God joined them together. And, and the way that God sees it is that th that is no longer um, this individual and that individual. They are now one flesh. They are one. The two have become one. And that's not just talk like sex is, is a consummation of that, but it's not just sex. Like, like that's an illustration. It's a beautiful gift and a picture that we get to enjoy and see in marriage, but it's not just talking about that. It, it is saying all that you are on either side is now shared completely and, and your shame is now their shame and your pleasure is now their pleasure and your burdens are now their burdens and your family is now their family and, and it is a joining of two individuals into one flesh. So Jesus says, before we start talking about whether or not we can get out of this deal, you need to remember what it is in the first place. It's two becoming one. And then the, th the second thing that, that he wants us to remember is that this is not just two becoming one as long as it's convenient for them. This is not two becoming one on a contractual, consumeristic basis. I think in our world, like, so often, it's interesting. Um, we, we've, we're, first of all, everybody's getting married in the fall this year. I don't know what that's about. I'm okay with it. But um, we didn't go to a single wedding this summer, and we've got, like, four this fall. So, um, but as we do, as my wife and I do premarital counseling, it's one of our favorite parts about ministry. But we always start out by just asking them, hey, why do you want to get married? And most people haven't really thought that deeply about that. It's kind of a, it makes them, it puts them on the spot. It's kind of an awkward question. And they'll say things like, well, I want to share a family. And, you know, we want to do this. And I'm like, okay, but can't you just do that? Can't you just move in together, live together? Like, you can do, most of the things they say <clears throat> that they want to get married for, I'm like, you can do that without having the ceremony, right? You ever think about that? So 
So I'm like, well, why get married then? Like, what's the drive there? And it's for so many people, it's just, it's just what you're, it's kind of what you're expected to do. It's this, it's, it's a celebration and it's, you know, it's just kind of embedded in our culture. We all long for it. It's our day, but we don't think about the impact of it. We don't think about what we're actually doing in that moment. And, and we, you think about our vows, the things we say, and we love them. They're beautiful, right? And we're just so used to them. But do you think about the weight that they bear? You think about what the idea of a vow is anyway? Like that's kind of lost on, on most of people in our generation. But like a vow is to commit to doing something. And what we commit to doing, are like the traditional vows are what? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And then what do we say? Well, how does it usually end? As long as we both shall live or what? Till death. Do us part. And we say those vows, and, we, and it's part of the ceremony, but it's become so flippant in our culture, right? Like, because I don't know if we mean that when we say it. Like, sure, we mean it that we love each other. We mean it that we want to get married. But, like, do you mean that? Do you really mean for richer, for poor? Like, that sounds nice, but what if you're broke? And no sign of getting better. Like, what if they're debilitated with a disease that they, they, they're no longer the same person? What if they betray you? Like, what, are we thinking through that? Are we thinking about it being forever? Like, joining into one flesh, and that, that, that's forever now. Like, it's a done deal. Like, it's, it's, it's a sealed. Like, are we thinking about it in those ways when we make a vow? The way that God views marriage is it's a covenant, and it's not a contract. The difference there is a contract. We say, I'll do this as long as you do that. Right? And so many people in our culture, like, they get into marriage. Like, it's this, we're sold this fairy tale type thing where I, I deserve to be happy and this person is going to come into my life and, and um, you know, music's going to be playing and, and it's just going to be this beautiful picture of, like, they are my soulmate, my, you complete me, Jerry Maguire type stuff, right? And, and we, we were sold this, lot, this picture of, like, the one person that's going to, Make me complete, like, and so we get into marriage oftentimes on what is a consumeristic basis, right? Like, I want something you have, you're going to give it to me, and like, and as long as you're giving that to me, I'm good with this, right? It's more of a contractual or consumeristic basis, like, and that's okay in some realms of life. Like, I have that with Apple, like, I buy Apple products. I like Apple products. I like the way they run. I don't usually have to shut my computer down 14 times like I did when I had a PC every day. Like, <clears throat> so I like Apple products. I like what they put out. But you know what? Last couple of times I've had to call customer service, not been a big fan of how Apple's treated me. And I'm like, one more again, and I'm getting me a droid. <laughs> right? Like I, and I can do that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Nobody's going to get mad at me if I suddenly buy a Samsung. Because that's okay in that relationship. Right? It's a consumer relationship. But that's not what we bring into marriage, right? That's not how we treat marriage. It's a covenant. A covenant says, I will do this no matter what you do. I'm in this. You run away from me, I'm running towards you. You get hurt, I'm going to care for you. You can no longer do what I love about you. That's okay. I'm still going to love you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. No matter what, I'm here. I'm, this is a covenant. And the reason that God designed it that way is it's a picture of how Christ loves his church. Paul, you should read Ephesians 5 today. 
It's your homework. Read Ephesians 5. And as Paul outlines how we're to love one another in the marriage, he, he wraps up and he finally says this. This mystery is profound. The way that a husband should treat a wife and a wife should treat a husband. He said it's this it's incredible mystery and there's incredible depth and beauty to it. But he said it's profound. But what, it, what I'm talking about is it's actually pointing to Christ in the church. To Christ in the church. It's like Marriage is meant to reflect how God loves his people. It's incredible. If you read the book of Hosea, it's, it's scandalous what God does. He tells one of his prophets to marry a prostitute, and he tells him, she's not going to love you. You're going to love her, but she's going to cheat on you. She's going to be unfaithful to you time and time and time again. But I'm going to give you such a love for her that you're going to still go, you're going to take her back, and you're going to long for her, you're going to pursue her. And he says, and I'm going to do all this to show my people how my relationship is with them. It's an incredible book. It's incredibly scandalous. But that's what God's saying. This is how I love you. It doesn't matter what you do. And, and listen, you think about how we love God back. It, it, it doesn't go real well, right? We don't hold up our end of the deal. But God doesn't break his covenant with us. If God has made a contract with me and my salvation and my relationship with him, he's broken that thing a long time ago, Right? because he's made a covenant he doesn't break that thing he doesn't walk away I might walk away and you know where he goes he steps toward me he comes after me he stands faithful he will not go back on his word marriage is a picture of that so Jesus says listen before you start asking questions about whether you, you can or you cannot divorce somebody for this reason or that reason, you need, to, you need to remember what marriage is all about. He goes on. He says, hey, did you not remember? We're back in Matthew 19. You don't remember how God made them, male, female, They've become one flesh, verse 6, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You need to think about that. You need to underline one flesh. If that's you in the Bible, you need to make note of that. You need to, that's, that's a big, big point. But then they, say, they said to him, verse 17, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So what they're referring to there is a passage in Deuteronomy 24, which is the only Old Testament passage that is kind of a law about divorce. And what they've done is they've taken it, which where God was speaking to a very specific situation. And what that passage says is, hey, if, if somebody, you know, divorces his wife, gives her certificate, she goes and marries somebody else, and then that marriage ends, that guy can't take her back because she's been defiled. That's the passage, but they've taken that and ran with it and said, hey, God tells us we can, we can divorce as long as we give a certificate of divorce. It's all good. We can do whatever. And they've twisted it and distorted it. And so <clears throat> that's what they're asking Jesus about there in verse 7. But Jesus says to him, why did Moses do that? Because of your hardness of heart. He allowed you. There's a difference of language there, right? Because they said, well, then why did, why did Moses command that, that we could divorce or that we should divorce? And Jesus says, no, no, you gotta, you're, you're distorting the word again, right? Religious people, to justify yourselves. He says, no, no, Moses never commanded you to divorce. It was because of your hardness of heart that God allowed that to happen. But God allowed it to happen for a certain reason, and it was to protect the vulnerable of the day. Because in that day, if, if, if a husband didn't want to be <clears throat> married to the wife anymore, then he could just desert her and leave her, and she had no way 
to be cared for. In that day and age, there's no, like a woman can't just go get a job and like provide for herself. And so she was left vulnerable and, and possibly to have to <clears throat> prostitute herself out to provide. And so um, God said, because of your hardness of heart, because this thing's gotten so far off the rails, I'm going to make a provision to care for the vulnerable so that if there is a divorce, they can get a certificate of divorce and they're able to remarry. But, but, but Jesus says, listen, it was not a command. And it was, not, it was an allowance to protect the vulnerable. It is not about whether you want to be married or not and whether you can find grounds to be divorced. He says, that, that was never God's design. Have you forgot how it was designed from the beginning? And so <clears throat> that's what he says. Um, from the beginning, it was not so at the end of verse 8. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So what Jesus is saying there is God views marriage so significantly and so permanently that when there's a divorce and somebody goes and remarries, then they're committing adultery in that remarriage because in God's eyes, that, that marriage is still intact. Like that covenant hasn't been, been broken. Like the divorce, may, like that may be legit and, and whatever, but the, the marriage, God says, when you enter into that next relationship, you're breaking that, that covenant and you're committing adultery. And these are, these are hard words. And so here's, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to <clears throat> talk about how God views divorce. I want to help us understand it a little bit. And then I want to move to some application. What does that look like? How do we play it out in our life from where we are today? And, and the first thing that you need to see about divorce that Jesus is teaching in this passage is that God hates it. Okay, Malachi 2, 16, Mark 10, 9. Like, it is very clear that God is not apathetic toward divorce. Here's what I've heard. And I've been in ministry all that long. I'm a young man, I understand that. But it has not been, like, it didn't take very long to start hearing things like, well, <clears throat> like, I know divorce is a sin, but God forgives sin, right? So it'll be okay. I'm like, wow, you, like, you really distorted that. Like, you, you really made God out to be and, 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 and we use verses like, you know, God is, all sin is, you know, equally evil in the eyes of God. He doesn't judge, you know, one sin is worse than the other. But listen, you're, that's, that's when we're getting back to verse 15 of Luke, right? We're, we're justifying ourselves. We're trying to fit God's word into our preferences, into our life circumstances. <clears throat> and what Jesus says is, listen, make no mistake about it. God did not design marriages to end in divorce. And it grieves God's heart deeply when that happens. Make no mistake. God is not apathetic toward divorce. There is no, yeah, God forgives sin, so it'll be all right. Like it, the, the reason that it it's, has much, so much more weight is like it's unique among all relationships, right? Like this, the, the ending of this relationship has more consequences and implications than anything else that we have in this world. And then, and then secondly, you think about like divorce happens by plan and intention of, of one or both spouses, right? Like it's not like a, ha a habitual sin that we may struggle with and have victories and have losses, right? Like it's not the same thing as struggling with uh, pride or anger or lust or things like that where you're going to struggle, you're going to have some victories, you're going to have some losses. Like to, to divorce takes some planning, intentionality, some long, prolonged rebellion where you say, you know what, God, I don't, I don't care what you say. This is what I'm going to do. Like there's, there's a hardness about that, an intentionality where you're saying, okay, God, I know what you say, but I'm going to do what I, 
I want in this moment. And listen, I, I do not mean to make light of all of the reasons. And we're going to talk. Like, please don't shut me down. Like, we're going to talk about some of the details in a minute. And I don't mean to make light of all the reasons why, we, like, <clears throat> it seems better. And, and I've heard people say, too, well, God, yeah, but God doesn't want me to be miserable either. And it's like, ah, like, no, he doesn't. But he loves you enough to tell you that splitting that marriage is not going to make it better. So you may not see it in this moment, but he says there's safety, there's blessing, there's flourishing in this covenant that it's going to force you to fight through it and to get to something better on the other side. And even if it never gets better, like splitting it, ending it, is not going to go the way that you think that it was. So this is God's wisdom, this is God's goodness in this, but make no mistake about it, he is not pleased when a divorce happens. The consequences and effects are... Collateral damage are really, really hard to, to quantify. It's a lot like an amputation. You think about it. We're one flesh. You separate that. And it's like losing part of yourself, right? You'll never be the same. And nobody runs to that conclusion when we're talking about an amputate, amputating part of our body, right? Nobody's quick to say, oh, he broke a finger. Might as well cut that hand off. Like, it is a very, very last resort to go there, right? We're talking about amputating something. And that's how we should view, mar- like, divorce. We should, like, we understand that the consequences are great, and to, to separate what God has joined together is going to be painful. It's going to have consequences, and you will never be the same. So, so don't go there quickly. Don't, don't find a way to justify yourself and, and, and head there quickly. Yes, God's going to give some allowances and provisions. We're going to talk about it in a second. But you need to stop and count the cost right here. And understand it's not an easy way out. It's not a clean break. Like, it will matter. But in that moment, I know, like, all you see is I want out. I, like, I, I, I understand that your situation is unique. And I understand that it can be hard. And I understand all the reasons why it seems like it would be better to leave. But you need to hear God's word in this. You need to hear his command. Until death do us part. That's how God views it. That's why he says what he says in verse 9. Because marriage is not ended in God's eyes until uh, when you engage in that other relationship, you're breaking that covenant and therefore committing adultery. That's how serious God views marriage and therefore divorce. But what about the exceptions? Doesn't doesn't the Bible give some, some grounds for divorce that make remarriage okay? And the answer is yes. And we're, we're going we're to cover those now, but I want to remind you First, that these, like what Jesus said about Moses' day, are allowances, not commands. And also that there's not full agreement amongst Bible scholars and interpreters to whether remarriage is permissible even under biblical grounds for divorce. Like there's, there's much debate about that. And, and if you read the, the scriptures, <clears throat> there's certainly a lot of weight put on the fact that what God seems to be saying is only death ends a marriage. And some of you are getting ideas. Don't go there. That's not where we're going. But so there's certainly some weight to that. But the Bible does seem to to, to give um, a couple of allowances for our good, for the care of the vulnerable. But again, we shouldn't run to them quickly and say, okay, when this happens, I have to divorce. Or when this has happened, I'm justified. I I have no guilt. Like we should still go there as a last resort. We should still know that these are allowances, not 
commands. And so the journey elders, we agree. <clears throat> this is the standard. It's, it's, a, it's very much the, the common Protestant um, position on divorce and remarriage and the journeys. Uh, we as elders like agree that this is, this is the standard we're going to hold our, our people of our church to. Um, is that God recognizes divorce in the case of adultery and of desertion, and therefore frees those people to remarry. What you'll find in this passage that we just read is Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife um, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now the logic there is just saying the adultery has already happened. right? The covenant has already been broken. And so Jesus is saying if, if you... If you divorce somebody just because you don't like them and they've changed and whatever, and then you go and remarry, just, there was not grounds, there's not biblical grounds for that, that divorce, and the covenant is still in place. And when you remarry, you're bringing somebody else into that covenant and you've broken it. And that's when you commit adultery. But he's, what Jesus is saying here, the only time that doesn't apply if somebody's already committed adultery, because they already broke that covenant, right? They've already done that. They've already been there. And so <clears throat> the, the, both parties have already been caused to experience that, that broken covenant, that adultery, because it's already happened. And so he's saying, except for that, you, you, when you go and get remarried, you're, you're, you're starting out that relationship in adultery unless there has been sexual immorality inside your marriage covenant. At that point, it, he seems to be saying that you're free to remarry, and you won't be committing adultery in that moment if you've been sinned against by your husband or your wife cheating on you. <clears throat> Again, that does not mean you have to divorce. Okay, there are more people than you would, would care to know that have been through this and have stuck it out and are grateful that they did. God can heal and bring you back from that place of deep betrayal and deep pain and deep hurt. It will not be easy. We, I do not mean to make a light of it. I simply say this does not draw a line immediately from adultery to divorce. The gospel is still the gospel, and God is still able to heal and restore marriages even if this has happened. So don't, don't go there quickly, but that is, is what, what the Bible teaches is in this instance, <clears throat> if the marriage cannot be saved, then you won't be committing adultery when you get remarried. The second one's a little bit more complicated. It's going to be found in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. And what Paul is talking about here is, this is first century Christians, a lot of people are getting saved. They get saved, they start following Jesus, and they have a lot of people where their spouses didn't follow Jesus. And they weren't Christians. And so it's a unique situation in history where they're automatically unequally yoked because Jesus is saying this person, but this person's not yet there. And so what do you do in that moment? This is what Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 7. And here's what he says. Basically, hey, if, you got a, if you're married to an unbeliever and they're willing to stay, then you stay with them. Because you don't know what God's going to do through you as you love them the way that Jesus loved them. Like, God might use that relationship to, to actually save them. And so, so if they're willing to stay, you stay with them. But he says, if they separate, they sue for divorce, they leave you, they refuse to stay in the marriage, then he says, you're not bound. You're not bound. God's called us to live in peace. You are free to, what a lot of interpreters say, you're free to remarry. 
Again, there's debate about that. What that freedom, if that freedom is just saying you don't have to stay in the marriage and keep seeking reconciliation, or if it's saying you're free from the, the covenant and you're able to remarry. But what we would say is, is there, upon this desertion, there is an opportunity to um, remarry without the guilt and shame of committing adultery. Now, you need, to, you need to know a little bit more about this. Because this is going to apply. You've got to know a little bit about church discipline, and I don't have time to, to walk through all this, but if you read Matthew 18... Here's what you need to know. If there is, I'm going to talk about abuse in a minute, and I hope that it's not anything that anybody in here is dealing with. But if you have a spouse that refuses to repent, and there is prolonged, unrepentant sin, where they, they were refusing, like, and you have confronted them, then you brought a friend to confront them, like Matthew 18, and then you brought the church elders in to confront them, invite them to repent, invite them to be restored, invite them to come back into the will of God. And if they refuse to do that, and it goes through all of the processes of Matthew 18, then what Matthew 18 says is you're going to treat them like an unbeliever. Because they are the way they are living is they're saying, I don't submit to Jesus anymore. I, Jesus is not my Lord. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. And Paul says, in that moment, treat that person like an unbeliever. So if you have someone that is a spouse that is refusing to repent, and after a long time of pleading, and after a long process of the church inviting that person to, to repent and to come back into the fold of God to receive help, if they refuse to do that, then, then what you got here is you're back to 1 Corinthians 7.15 where you're saying, that person is evidently an unbeliever, and if there will not be repentance, that person refuses to reconcile in the marriage, then the person who's left there is not bound. They're not bound. They're able to remarry. Does that make just a little bit of sense? I know that's a very quick teaching of a very complex issue, but that's, that's the idea there. Adultery or desertion by, by an unbeliever, you're free to, to remarry without the guilt of adultery. So what do we do with this? <clears throat> That's kind of the teaching. I want, to, I want to attempt to give some points of application, answer some questions I anticipate may be on some of your minds. I won't get to all of them, but I'll try to do what I can. I'm going to start with those of you who are divorced um, and then move to, to the rest of us, those that are married or have not yet been married. And so I just want to walk through a few things. If you're divorced, first of all, I just want to say, like, God sees you. He doesn't see you as this black sheep that he is embarrassed like you're his son or his daughter and he, and he loves you and the gospel is still true for you and there's healing and hope and, and he wants to restore you and he wants to enter into your heart like he loves you and so I just want you to know that. And then there's a lot of different circumstances. If you're single or if you're divorced and you're single and your, your ex-spouse is still single, then what the Bible would say is, like, you need, to, you need to pray about, like, what does it look like to be faithful in that moment? Like, have you given God a chance to restore that marriage? Like, don't run to another covenant too soon without giving God a chance to restore that marriage. I've seen it happen a lot. Like, God has restored a lot of marriages that have gone through divorce and brought them back together years later. And so don't, don't give up on the gospel and its ability to, to heal in that moment. And so... Stay faithful, like prayerfully consider what it looks like to be faithful in that moment. <clears throat> if you're remarried, if you've been divorced and you're remarried, this does not mean that you are in a perpetual state of adultery. Okay, this does not mean that you're in a perpetual state of adultery. But here's what you need to do. You need to, 
Listen, part of the deal is, this is new for some of you. Some of you have never heard this taught. Some of you have heard some other distortion of it where you've heard that, well, yeah, it's a sin, but God forgives and whatever, you just move on. And others of you have heard like, it's the unforgivable sin. And so there's, there's, there's lots of spectrums. And maybe some of you have never heard anything that the Bible's taught about this. And so for some of you, this is new. And so if you're divorced and remarried, here's what, I, here's what the word of God says to you in this moment. Certainly what we're going to get to is, is that 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them, right? And like he will restore. And so I want to get to that. But before we do, before we just quickly move to that, I, I, want, to, I want you to just be honest with yourself for a moment and, and, and let God's word set on your situation. And I want you to think about like, did you have biblical grounds for divorce? And if, and if you didn't, if there wasn't adultery and there wasn't desertion, then, then the truth of the scriptures here is that your remarriage may have began in adultery. Is, is that, that covenant was broken in that moment. And so, so you may need to acknowledge that before the Lord and, and repent of that. But, but here's, here's what I want you to know going forward. God does recognize your marriage as a marriage. Some people will say, well, he doesn't recognize that second marriage because that first marriage is, you know, is still intact or whatever. And there's some real twisted and distortions of that. But if you look at the woman at the well and the way that Jesus interacted with her, what did he say? He says, she says, I'm going to go call my husband. Jesus says, yeah, actually, that's not your husband. You've had five before, but the one you're with now is not your husband. And so Jesus acknowledges those five marriages as marriages. Right? Does that make sense? Like, he acknowledges them as marriage. And so it is not this, some people will say that, well, you know, it's, it's one marriage, and then even if you divorce, like, God's still honoring that thing. He said, no, 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 like, you may have began that relationship out of God's will when you, when you entered into that remarriage, but you may not have. Like, you may have a biblical grounds for divorce. You walked through it, and you, you really surrendered to people, and, and, and you're totally in that camp. But, but if you did, and, and you, you, like, I think here's what the, Text requires of you. First of all, um, God does recognize it as a marriage. He does not want you to leave that marriage or to feel like it is forever defiled. Like he does not want you to break one covenant to go back and be faithful. To like, no, you were in that marriage. He honors it. He, he wants you to stay faithful to the one that you are with now. And the gospel is still true. The, God, the divorce is not the unforgivable sin. So here's what I think it requires of you. You need to be honest with yourself. Have you repented if there wasn't biblical grounds for your divorce, have, have you repented of that? Have you acknowledged that before the Lord and before your, your former spouse? And have you repented? Have you owned and repented of all the sin that you were responsible for in that marriage? And if you, can, if you say yes to those things, then I take us back to 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, again... He doesn't see you in this perpetual state of rebellion or adultery. You confess, you ask for forgiveness, and then you be faithful and keep the covenant that you're in at this time. He doesn't, God doesn't wish you to live under guilt and shame for the rest of your life. And we shouldn't use this as a flippant reason to divorce, but where it has happened, the gospel is true, just as true for this sin as there is for other sins. So confess, repent. And then recommit to keeping the vows that you, you've made now. Some of the godliest marriages I know are those that have, that have been remarried after a divorce. God's power of restoration and bringing beauty out of ashes is amazing. And we don't need to like count it 
set it aside when it comes to this situation. Like if you just look at the messy story of David and Bathsheba, right? Like whatever your drama is, it it doesn't trump theirs, right? Like you're talking about scandalous adultery that led to a pregnancy, that led to an attempt to cover it up which he couldn't get him to do because the the husband of Bathsheba was an honorable man, and so David resorted to murder. That's how their relationship started. Messy, adulterous, and yet David was confronted and he repented. Psalm 51 is David repenting and crying out to the Lord that he has sinned against God and God only. And he says, Lord, make me clean, make me new. And the Lord hears his prayers. There's still consequences for that sin. It's messy. But God takes that marriage and makes, brings beauty out of ashes. And he, and listen, you realize that, this, that Jesus came from the line of David and Bathsheba, Right? So God takes what started in that complete mess and he restores it and makes it into this beautiful thing that he uses for his glory. So the gospel is still true for you in that situation. Don't write yourself off. Don't believe that you're living this unforgivable sin. Married couples, quickly I want to address us. Um, and I, I want to quickly say this. Some of you, as I mentioned earlier, if you're in an abusive situation, it's been hard for you to, for you to hear anything I've said because th- there's just so much fear. And, so, like, and, and I don't know that any of you are, but I also know from statistics that it's likely that some could be in an abusive marriage. And, and you need to know that God's will for you is to be safe and to be secure in marriage. It's not marriage just for the sake of it. And so if this is you, I first want to say I'm sorry. Like, I can't imagine what you're experiencing, how hard it's been to listen up to this point, wondering what you should do. But here's the deal. This should not be used to keep someone captive in an abusive situation. God's teaching on marriage and divorce should not be used to keep someone captive in an abusive, destructive situation. Jesus came to set the captives free, not to give their captors permission to hold them there. And unfortunately, I've heard too many stories about this being hung over someone's head saying, you can't leave me. If you do, you'll go to hell. It's a sin, whatever. And, and really, it's like slavery. And, and I've seen that, unfortunately, right here in Southern Illinois. Like, and I'm amazed that, that that would be twisted to that degree. And so if that's you, I want you to know that that is not the will of God, that you stay and take it. And you, like, he wants safety. He wants flourishing. He wants health for you. So you should, you should seek immediate separation and help. This doesn't mean you go straight to divorce, but you separate and you call sin, sin, and you demand change. Divorce may be necessary if that abusive spouse refuses to repent, but for now, the move needs to be for you to seek safety. You need to get help in dealing with, with this. You need to let the property authorities know. And, and listen, I, listen, I know it's not that simple. That the reason that, that so many people stay in battered and abusive relationships is because there's so much manipulation. There's so much fear. And not only fear what will happen if you tell to you, but what will happen if you tell to your reputation and to your family and to your kids and all of those things. I, I understand that there's so much going on, but I just want to say that you're not alone. And that we here at the church, that, that myself and the elders, like we're here for you. And we'll, we'll, we'll walk with you through that mess and into whatever paths we need to walk to get you healthy, to keep you safe, and to, and to have a better, hopefully a better marriage, but if not out of that, that mess. And so just know that. 
Know that even before you leave today, you can let us know and we will help protect you. Like, we do not want to be a place that says, you just got to stick it out and take it. No. You need to call sin, sin. And it doesn't mean you jump right to divorce, but it does mean that you call for a change and you demand to be treated with respect. That is absolutely what God wants for you. So you let us know if we need to help with that. Like, we want to be there. For the rest of us married couples, I want this to let... I want this to press you back into your vows. Like I know that many of you are ready to quit. Many of you see no light at the end of the tunnel. Others of you have just conceded to a life of misery. Right? Even though you know you're not going to divorce. But there's already emotional separation. There's a lack of intimacy. But you know, this is not God's will for you. He doesn't want this begrudging obedience of, well, I'm not going to divorce, but I'm not ever going to be happy to. No, no, no. Like the reason that the covenant is good for us is it's supposed to force us to work, to, like work toward each other and to, to fight for the marriage and to get past the obstacles that are in front of us so that we can flourish on the other side. Like it is not just this resolve. I was talking to a young man yesterday. We just started their premarital counseling. He had a guy at work telling me, he said, here's the, here's the deal. Here's how you get a long marriage. Just give in. Just agree with her on everything. I was like, man, like... Just a, just twisted wisdom. Maybe some wisdom, but twisted. It's not. It's not what God wants for you to just resolve to misery. Here's the deal: when you get married, the person that you marry is going to change. The challenge is change and grow together. And that takes work. And here's the other thing. It takes speaking up. Like we talk all the time here in our church about how so much of the ministry that God has for us here for our flourishing doesn't happen as you just sit there and listen to me. But it happens as we live life together and we speak truth to one another and we allow one another to carry our burdens. Like that's how life happens. And yet, so we talk about that with community all the time. And yet I find so often that marriages are struggling and they're on fire and they haven't even told anybody in their community group or they're just pretending that everything's okay. Like that's not how life comes about. Like you need to speak up. And when one person of the one flesh union says we have a problem, there's, there's an issue here, there's some unhealth here, the other person doesn't get to say, no, nah, we're good. And men, I'm mostly talking to you. Okay, because it's most often the woman that, speaks, that seeks counseling out. It's often the woman that files for divorce because she wants more, she wants something better, and too many men are just passive and saying, no. We're okay. And for pride and for fear, whatever, we don't, we don't speak up. We don't get help. But listen, you need to know. You need to know that counseling is, not, is, is a good thing. It saved, it saved our, our marriage. Like, I got counseling, and I don't know where we'd be without it. And at the same time, like, we were, we were doing premarital counseling with a couple the other night, and just like an hour before they showed up, we were in an argument, and we were like, we need to talk to somebody. <laughs> we need counseling. We're about to counsel, and we're like, we need some help. Does that mean that we're, like, on the brink? Does that mean that we're near? Like, no. And you need to know that. Like, we're just normal, and we're saying, hey, life's got really hectic, and we're, we're missing each other a little bit right now, and we need some help kind of to not grow bitter and not grow distant. Like, we don't want to, like, we see if we keep heading down this path, it, we could do it further and further apart. We don't want that, so we're going to work on it. We're going to fight. We're going to invite counsel in. Does that make sense? 
So don't just write the other person off. Like you, you need to listen. If, if one says we need to get help, you need to, you need to get help. We have a, like, Brother Tim is literally doing counseling right down here in this wing through Sparrow, and, and, and if he can't counsel with you, he'll find somebody that can. Like, we and the church will help you financially, will help you get connected with a good counselor. Like, it's good for you to, to submit yourself to that. If you, listen, here's, I just want to, I want to make a call to those of you that are in that position where you've just resolved that this is how it is. I've just, I've just been really sobered as I've talked to more and more marriages about how many people are just resolved to be separated in different places. Uh, uh, so I want, I want to ask you, like, are you sleeping in different beds? Like, if you are, this is concerning. You, you shouldn't be okay with it. Right? Like, if it's the snoring, then get help. Put the CPAP on, whatever. Don't do it right away, like when you first get in bed. Like, give yourself a chance to make out before you get the Darth Vader thing. But, but do what you need to do so you can sleep in the same room with each other. Right? That ain't healthy. Don't settle for that. And if it's the kids, don't sacrifice your marriage. Your kids? You're not loving your kids by letting them come between you and your spouse? You need to weigh that out. What's more important, like their temporary comfort or your marriage long term? And maybe they're not coming between you physically, like in the bed, but, but maybe like life has just begun to revolve around them and they have become between you in that way. Listen, you need to, you need to know it's good for them. It's going to make a well-adjusted child to know that the world doesn't revolve around them. Because guess what? It doesn't revolve around them. You know what? And they're going to realize it someday, whether that's when they get out into the workforce and their boss is like, dude, you know, or you teach them now and you teach them mom and dad were together before they came along and mom and dad intend to be together long after they're gone. Does that make sense? They need to know that and there's comfort in that. And you think about what are you teaching them? If you let them come between your marriage, like what are you teaching them about what marriage is supposed to be like? Do you want that type of marriage for, for them when they grow up? If not, what steps are you taking to, to get there? So, like, work on your marriage. Don't, like, take date nights. Take weekends away. Don't apologize for investing in your marriage. Your kid may cry when you drop them off at grandma or grandpa's, and you may feel really bad about it, but you need to get away with your spouse. You need to get some face time with your spouse. They'll be all right. Run toward one another. Work on your marriage. Don't settle. Get weekends away. Get date nights. Speak up. Get help. All right, I've laid a lot before you today, and I want to close with this. Jesus is very firm teaching about if you divorce, remarry, commit adultery. Like what that's actually saying, it's a picture of the gospel. Because the reason we don't divorce and the reason that when we do, God grieves is because he doesn't divorce us. It's a picture of the gospel. That God is saying, I am here. Like Jesus is saying, I am faithful and true. I'm your savior no matter what. I won't divorce you. So wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, whatever's, made, whatever's been told to you, you need to know that Jesus stands with fierce love, so fierce that it took him to the cross. And it's not just so that you can go to heaven when you die. Like he wants to bring you life today. 
He wants to apply the cross to your marriage. He wants to apply the cross to your broken heart from your marriage that didn't last. He wants to apply your heart to those of you who have longed for marriage and have never got to experience it. Like Jesus wants to apply the gospel and heal you and meet you wherever you are. And so this teaching on marriage is a, is a proclamation of the gospel that Jesus says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am your faithful husband. You may run off, you may run away, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to come after you and I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for that. Would you just apply that all over the room to every situation that's going on, Lord? It's beyond me. It's beyond us. Would you give us courage to respond? May your spirit divide and lay bare those that need to come before you today. Would you give us faith to do so? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.